Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. This is Bart Carroll along with Shelley Mazenoble and Trevor Kidd. In today's episode, we'll meet Deborah Davitt, fantasy author of The Valkyrie and the Goddess Denied, the first two books in her Saga of Edda Earth series. And then the D&D team's Greg Bilsland joins us to talk about this year's Extra Life charity event. Yeah. All right. So it's a uh, David or David? David. David. Okay. Mm-hmm. David. David. Well, let's try an intro and we'll see how it goes. Deborah David also used to send stories <laughs> to Dragon Magazine. Deborah David, fantasy author. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Deborah David. I'm already. David. Deborah David or David? No. David. So do you want to? <laughs> Am I killing it again? No, I. Deborah David. Deborah David. <laughs> If you were just to be comfortable and just now, even Deborah sounds weird to me. Now I will never forget. Deborah Davit. Making me laugh. So it's like it's da like dad. Deborah Davit. Take one. <laughs> In the saga of Edda Earth, Rome never fell, magic and science coexist, and all the gods are real. As a kid, Deborah Davit also used to send stories to Dragon Magazine all of which, she says, received very polite rejection letters addressed to her then-adolescent self, and honed her writing style by DMing many games online in play-by-post forums. So first of all, thanks for joining us on the podcast, Deborah. Hi there. It's really nice to be here. Thank you so much. We are very excited to talk to you for a number of reasons. You're sitting here with three writers, so we definitely want to talk about your history with... uh, self-publishing, and and you're incredibly prolific, so we definitely want to get some tips there about your writing (laughs) life, but also interested in how you uh, were introduced to D&D. Well, uh, that goes back a while. Um, I was introduced to D&D primarily, I want to say, through the works of R.A. Salvatore. Uh, I was about 15, 16, so this was way back in 1989, 1990, my first year of of high school. And I was reading Icewind Dale. And I had a couple of friends who were were into Dungeons & Dragons in a big way, and in particular my best friend. And they all were off playing D&D. And I went, I want to do that too. So I got the player's handbook, and I got the DM's guide, and I read through them and basically memorized them as best I could. And very strongly hinted that, you know, guys, I, 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 I got the books. Oh, that's nice. We'll be off playing. See ya, Deborah. Oh. They were all guys. Oh. <laughs> they were all guys, and apparently yeah. there was no room in the treehouse. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. shut down. Oh, jerks. about 10 years, and uh, basically Baldur's Gate 2 had come out, and it was a difficult game to get through in the early days. Mm-hmm. And so I found an online uh, forum, Baldur's Gate, uh, Baldur's Gate Dungeon, and that had a really amazingly vibrant off-topic community, and that's where I started doing freeform DMing and freeform playing, and that gravitated into being asked to join a couple of ruled games. And unfortunately, every time I joined a ruled game, the DM would go for about maybe two, three weeks, and then they'd say, oh, no, don't have enough time, or they'd just you know, vanish off the face of the earth, and oh. the game would evaporate. And eventually I said, you know what? It can't be that hard. So I started DMing, and I ran a couple of really, like, really long, like, two-year-long two games with uh, up to about seven or eight players at the height of them, and that really helped me learn how to craft my writing for multiple audiences to keep multiple audiences engaged in the story mm-hmm. multiple character arcs because i was playing to each person's interests and strengths as a player and that that, that 
it, it taught you taught me how to be audience centric. It taught me how to do callbacks to things that people had maybe not remembered happened a long time ago in the game and that brings elements forward so they were oh yes I remember that and that makes perfect sense here and it also taught me the value of continuity and going back and realizing oh that didn't actually make sense that needs to be fixed (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing don't you have a a teaching background Yes, I do actually. Have you ever I thought do. about teaching a creative writing class that's about based on yeah, based on dungeon on mastering dungeon or role playing games? I, I, I would love to, but um, when when I was teaching, I was a graduate student, and they don't let you teach the fun stuff as a graduate student. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I, I, I started off seminar. teaching freshman composition with with a rhetorical basis, again very audience centric, and that was when I was at Penn State. And then I moved on to a little higher tier teaching business writing. And then I realized that I really did. I I liked teaching. I liked watching the lights turn on in people's eyes when they understood something. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the grading. The grading will just get you down. So I I moved into technical writing. And then after quite a while of technical writing around when I was, uh, when I had my little boy, I went back and I was, I taught at University of Phoenix online for a little while, technical writing again. And yeah, they, they, they won't let someone like me who doesn't have the full PhD or the MFA. I have a master's, but it's not an MFA, so mm. they won't let me teach the fun stuff. Oh. Mm. I, I was just interested that you approached Dungeons & Dragons first through the fiction and then into the game. And maybe I'm mistaken, but I just sort of presume that for most people, it's they start with the game, right. and then they get interested a bit more into the story, and they pursue it down the fiction line. I, I, I was a huge reader and consumer of fantasy when I was very young. I, I started on, on Andre Norton's books when I was maybe fourth grade, fifth grade thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I read through all the witch worlds. I read Anne McCaffrey. I read, mm-hmm. I, I actually met Raymond E. Feist when I was 13. Oh. It was, I didn't know who he was, but he was <laughs> sitting outside of a, uh, out of a, outside of a book, bookstore. I'm like, okay, that looks like it's a pretty good book. And that's all stuff that was based on a role-playing campaign, not that I knew it at the time. And so, yeah, I, 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 I approach fantasy through the lens of literature but you know you look back at the history of literature and a lot of literature has fantastic elements to it you look back at the great epics like beowulf there's monsters in beowulf there's heroes there's uh, we, we got out of the epic for a long period of time because we were so interested in the 18th and 19th centuries in the the novel and realism and so on and so forth so coming back to the fantastic elements to the mythological to all those layers of interest that were always in all of our cultures, we've come back to it in the 20th century and the 21st century. And it's glad, I'm glad that it's back. Life is more interesting that way. Yeah. With fantastic. And you've woven quite a bit of that into your own series. I, I kind of wanted to turn a little bit to uh, the saga of Edda Earth. So first of all, congratulations on the success of, of the series. And uh, yeah, if- we were actually reading some of your reviews earlier. <laughs> you have fantastic reviews. You do. Yes. Yeah, good reviews I, there. I, I, I've had some very kind people leave some very kind words, and I've been very grateful for that. Uh, so for our listeners, could you uh, perhaps introduce a little bit about uh, the series in general? Sure. Uh, like you said at the top of the program, uh, Etta Earth is an alternate alternate 
it's alternate history, but it's not the it's not typical alternate history. I, f I find that most alternate history tends to just treat history as something to have the serial numbers filed off of, and they might change one thing. But you know, Leonardo da Vinci, of course, he still exists because you have to have all these signposts for the reader or the viewer. So all these people that are signposts in history still exist, even if something changed. Mm -hmm. And in Edda Earth, because the very first, I, I go way back to first causes, Julius Caesar was not assassinated. Therefore, the Roman Empire had a strong ruler at the, at the beginning, and there wasn't all the factionalism, and it, therefore it didn't fall. It didn't have, have, have the four or five centuries of intermittently competent rulers. And also <laughs> because all the gods are real, and Caesar claimed descent from Venus... And historically, he actually minted coinage that claimed that he was descended from Venus, from Venus. And he had a bastard child named Caesarian by Cleopatra. Cleopatra also claimed descent from Osiris and Isis. Well, their sons, it was Caesarian the Godborn, and he was particularly powerful and strong. Uh, and Godborn meaning he has divine power from his ancestors running through his veins. Effectively a superhero, but, uh, you know, not, not quite. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love a modern-day politician to try and claim descent. From That'd be that. awesome. <laughs> we kind of have one in the making. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Donald Trump. Right. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure, if anyone would do it, I'm sure. He totally would. He probably would be the guy. Now you've got me wondering what god he would actually claim descent from. That that, that uh, intrigue. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a poll up on the, uh, the website article yeah. for this. <laughs> um, at, at any rate, so uh, history is entirely has to be reimagined. You have uh, things as disparate as, you know, if Rome didn't fall, there's no medieval period. There's no renaissance. There is no English language because, well, let's face it, if Rome was on Britannia, they are still, they, they would have fended off the Saxon tribes that came over and immigrated and basically displaced all the native Celts. So you have no English language. So you have to reimagine the world in that way. The colonization of the Americas took place in around, the, around 500 AD. And I also have to mention that I redo all the date systems because uh, there's no Christianity. <laughs> uh, <they're, laughs> so everything is not dated AD, it's dated after the ascent of Caesar or AC. So about 500 AC, the Romans decide, you know, we've had enough of those obstreperous northern tribes who keep coming down and trying to invade. The ones of you that we have alliances with, you guys can stay up there in, you know, Gaul and Germania and places like that. The rest of you, take a hike, move west, go elsewhere. So they get into their longboats and they head west across the Sea of Atlas, the Atlantic Ocean. So you have an entirely different map of the Western Hemisphere because people came over that much earlier and they either pe traded peacefully with the native inhabitants or they got into tribal warfare with each other with only you know, the advantage of steel and iron, no guns. And also, again, you have to imagine, I, 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 I have often put it that this, imagining this world was like playing the world's best game of Civ. Because I was able to read the tech tree, the, the, the tech tree had to be incorporated with magic. Because while science didn't have the back, the back step, backward stepping of the uh, of the dark ages, so there's a continuous growth of science. You also have magic coming up alongside it, parallel. And magic, because it's an easy out, means that well, we we don't have to have we don't have to come up with a solution scientifically if we can just ask an elemental to do it for us. Yeah. How you do so, that? Listen. 
Magic. That's how I'm going to do that. The answer is always magic. We we know there's silver under those mountains. We could develop dynamite and all the different, you know, technologies to pump out the steaming hot water from two miles down below the surface. Or we could, you know, summon an elemental and give give it a little blood and sugar and it'll say, okay, sure, I'll do that for you. (laughs) This is fascinating. Well, I mean, we haven't even touched on the the, the storyline, the narrative itself. But, I mean, yeah, as Shelley mentioned, you're talking to a, a room full of Writers. It, yeah. It actually, she's. I, I can see Bart's eyes. If you were here, you would have one of those teaching moments because Bart's <laughs> eyes is his eyes are lighting up. Well, I'm. <laughs> I'm interested to ask. Uh, you're creating an entire alternate history, and so far as presenting it is one thing, but mm-hmm. tracking it for yourself right. as you're writing. Start, are there tools I that you use? A, I, I started off, honest to God, with a wiki page. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's something I learned oh. just uh, just about my own writing process as I was doing my rather ginormous uh, fanfic is I don't do so well if I have it in a word file and then I have to you know do a search on my computer for where did I put that one what did I title that one I went to wikidot I created myself a wiki page and I have just notes after notes after notes and it's categorized and it has links mm-hmm. so and if I if I grab a wikipedia quote I can copy that plonk that there and it's there and I or, and I have the link under it so I can go back to it so I constantly have a reference and that actually you know served a pretty good purpose for me because when I you know published the first book I figured it might be a good service to my readers to toss up a wiki so I was able to call out the stuff that was particularly spoilerific mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> and was able to put that up for them I haven't actually gotten around to doing the book two stuff yet but I probably should so when you're writing are you is this all just like coming off the top of your head or are you do a, do a, a really deep outline before you start like do you know all of these details before you begin well in terms of the, in terms of the world uh, and the world development i cr- basically created a whole bunch of different subsections on the things i was interested in history because history has to lead forward to the present day mm-hmm. uh, cultures uh, how, how each culture was the same and different from between now and our world and Edda, and so on and so forth in terms of the actual writing process of the novels, I had an, a loose outline. I knew where we were going to end up, but it's also I don't I don't get married to my outline. Uh, I, I find that if if you get handcuffed to it too much, the story will die on you. So I, I write towards signpost scenes, scenes that are really bright and vivid in my head. I, I need I know I need to get there. That's the scene I want to write, mm-hmm. and. There's all the stuff, all the little steps in the chain between there, where I am in the narrative and that signpost there. And sometimes as I'm writing, things will change because the act of writing changes what you write. And sometimes the characters come alive in your head, and if, if you're doing it right, they do. Um, and they tell me, no, that's a really stupid idea. Why would you ever think that I would do that? No, mm-hmm. we're going to do something else. And I've learned to listen to them because quite often they're smarter than I am. <laughs> um, uh, a, a really good example of that is uh, one of my characters, Kanmi Eshmunazar. He's a Carthaginian sorcerer. And uh, at one point in the narrative, he was going to wind up turning against Rome. That was, that was where he was going to be in book two. He wound up not doing that because he had some character changes along the way that made him a much less bitter person. But he wound up in the same narrative place, but for very different reasons. And therefore, he, he became a much more interesting and more nuanced character because he had so many more motivations for being where he was and doing what he was doing. 
And it was all because he told me, yeah, that's stupid. I would never do that. <laughs> hey, I'll listen to you. Yeah. Let's, I mean, this, I, I just, I'm fascinated. And you have mentioned, you mentioned your work of fanfic. And is this a <laughs> fact? Is, was that really three million words, over three million words? According to fanfic.net, it's 3.5 million words. I consider it to be a series of I, I consider it to be a series of fan novels. It was never intended to be that long. Wow. <laughs> I, uh, fanfic was it geared toward a particular work of fiction that you were just uh, it was interested actually, in expanding I, I, on? I, 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 when Mass Effect One dropped, I was actually mm -hmm. pretty disappointed in the game way back in the day. I was you know two months pregnant when I when I first started playing it. I was tired all the time. My back hurt because I you know, and I was sitting there going that that particular element was cold from Babylon Five. That one was cold from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I, I then I didn't play Mass Effect Two until until well after it had come out and then I was playing it and I just about fell off the couch when I realized, hey, Garrus is in there and Garrus is a romanceable option. Oh, okay. Then the, And the storyline was much better. It was a more con more congealed and coherent universe for me and, th and the story arcs were interesting. And so I kind of broke out in fan fiction after I finished it, like, you know, A Little Plague of Boils. And I wrote one short fic. It was Spirit of Truth. And I, I, had, not, I had no idea what to do with it. So I stuck it up on fanfic.net. I didn't expect anything to come of it. I didn't expect anyone to find it. I was really, really surprised when people started writing and responding to me and going, I want to see more of this. I'm like, oh, okay, I, uh, I'll, 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 do, I'll do a little sequel. And that was a Spirit of Redemption. And Spirit of Redemption was just the first small chunk of the overall Spirit of Redemption uh, novels, essentially. And... Basically, I regard that as a good journeyman, journeyman process, or at least journeyman experience, because I was long since past, you know, using the canonical character. I was, I was de developing much more in-depth uh, information on the various species and their cultures, and my own characters, and so on and so forth. And I was interweaving elements, and so it was all the stuff that I did as a DM, but it was over a much more prolonged and extended period, and I was also getting great responses from people that were allowing me to, again, tailor to an audience, and that's what I sort of focus on is what what will make my audience happy, entertained, and if I can make them think, that's good too. Yeah. And and so from there, I and again, this these are all very self-serving questions for us <laughs> in the room because this is very fa this is absolutely fascinating to us. When you were working on uh, Etta Earth, when you were working on on those books, uh, can you talk a little bit about how you approach the publishing process? I mean, you're doing an amazing amount of of self-marketing, and yeah. it looks oh, like you're taking well. a lot on your shoulders. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess the, the broader do you have a day job? I mean, you can't possibly <laughs> I have, have a day job. Yes, you still have a day Day job and you're managing to write this much and raising a seven-year-old child. And raising a seven-year-old. <laughs> I've often said that it feels like I'm working three full-time jobs at once, but yes, <laughs> you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have a very understanding husband. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I guess uh, the broader question is sort yeah. of just your approach and experiences with the publishing process. Maybe what you learned along the way, what avenues you you were you've chosen to pursue, and why. Well, most publishers are still set up. In pretty much where I was in 1989, 1990, thereabouts, when I was submitting to Dragon, where they, they want to see a published track record and it has to be professional because they, they expect 
curation. They, they want the, the small magazine markets to serve as their filter because, mm -hmm. let's face it, their slush piles are enormous. They, they can't possibly get through them all. They, they want to have a proven track record that you are a serious person, that they should, you know, bother to look at this manuscript. And so for years, I sat down and I sent out, you know, my little hopeful short stories here and there, hither, thither, and yon. And uh, I didn't get very much in the way of response. I, I got those very polite rejection letters from Dragon, and I thank you very much for them. Did you save those by chance? <laughs> I did for the longest time, but uh, I also moved around a bit after grad That's school, fine. so... I don't know where they wound up. They probably got flushed with some of my high, with some of my college notes that I wish I hadn't lost <laughs> during the moves, but such is life. Um, but I do remember what the stories were. were well, I remember the title and the storyline of one of them, and I remember the, uh, the the content of the other one. And I remember what the rejection letter said on one of them. I'm like, okay, well, and they're they're pretty much evidence that being told no is actually a good experience for people because it makes you work harder. Yeah. If if all you have is success, you'll never improve. So that, 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 that was a good experience for me. I'm not going to say no, say anything bad about that. But then after my son was born, I submitted a bunch of other short stories to uh, places like Weird Tales and things like that. And again, they're just, they're slammed with content because people are, it, it, it's a saturated market. Mm -hmm. And so I got done with, you know, the first draft of Edda Earth, all three novels, you know, batted out in nine months. Okay, did, did my first draft, my second draft, my third draft. All right, I am ready. <laughs> And I figured I'd be smart about it this time, and I'd start contacting agents and being all clever that way because, you know, obviously an agent will help save you so much time because they, you know, eat lunch with the publishers and so on. <laughs> yeah, that was a whole resounding, that was a whole new level of silence. <laughs> oh. uh, it, 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 you get used to rejection. But at the same time, I also had, you know, 2,000 reviews on the fanfic from people as far away as... You know, Egypt and Malaysia and Russia saying, I like your work. Anything that you publish, I will read. Okay. I've got 25,000 emails about the story in my inbox before I, you know, had to shut it down and put it to a different email account so I could, you know, concentrate on something new. Saying, well, not all of them were positive, but, you know, um, the majority of them were positive. So I know I've got something that people want to read. Yes. So after, you know, sending off the, the first time the manuscript to a publisher and not hearing back from the publisher or agents, I said, okay, I'm going to give it one more try. And I sent it off, sent off the whole manuscript to another publisher that wouldn't, wanted the whole thing. And I sent it off, you know, uh, so the post office would send me a notice that, yes, they have signed off, they've received it, didn't hear a word. So I said, okay. I'm coming up on my 40th birthday. My goal has been to be published by the time I'm 40. The heck with this. I'm going to try taking it to Kindle. I'm going to try selling it directly. And that's been enormously more successful and uh, not nearly as a uh, black hole. But it's it's been successful, <clears throat> excuse me, for you. And I mean, there's a ton of self-published authors yeah. that are using the Kindle marketplace, but you're breaking through. I mean, you're actually getting, <laughs> you're, you know, you're doing tremendous publicity yourself you're getting these great reviews you're getting your work out there so i think that's the hardest part for an author they can they can write but it's yeah, exactly. they're, they're not always marketers they don't or they don't even know where to begin oh i i i, I am not a marketer i uh, i i'm learning this as i go and it's it's been an interesting ride i have to say because uh if you'd asked me any of this a year ago i would have gone of, of course the the, the 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 process is that you submit it to the publisher this publisher says yes right you know, question mark, question mark, profit. It's it's the underpants gnomes. <laughs> so, 
um, I would never have imagined that I'd be doing all these things. I would, I, I, I've, I've never, I'd never been to a convention before in my life. I mean, I went to, uh, you know, the, the Shakespeare Association of America when I did a research uh, paper when I was in my last year of, of college. That I've done. Being to a fan convention I'd never done before this year, and I went, okay, well, it, it's an idea. Uh, I, 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 and they said, sure, would you like to be on five panels? Sure, I can be on five panels. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I haven't, I haven't actually been up in front of people since I stopped teaching. Uh, um, okay, <laughs> I'm on five panels. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> That, that, that was interesting, but all the things that I've uh, gotten into doing in terms of marketing, it's, it's been trial and error and asking people for, for the communal wisdom as I've gone about it. Well, uh, I would say uh, that it seems like a good time to be able to do these things. I mean, it, it's a wonderful yes. time where authors are able to not just write the, the books that they love, but now there are these platforms. There is Amazon Kindle. There are self-marketing blogs and websites that, that you've put together that you, you are able to do to do these things, to reach an audience that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have been able to do if there was just the traditional publishing route. I will say that I would not have been able to write at a 10 or 15 years ago. Just the ability to look things up on the internet. Mm. If I was trying to write this back when I was in college or grad school, it wasn't that long ago, although you know, I guess mm -hmm. it technically was, um, I would have been, you know, doing interlibrary loans or l looking up, okay, that, that article looks like it could have something to do with, you know, Sumerian magic. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, you know, write, the, write down everything on the form. Can I please have a copy of this? I'll pay the 40 cents per page. Okay, it's come in. It had absolutely nothing to do with what I wanted to write about. <laughs> These days, I can look up Sumerian magic, and you know, there's Google Books, you know, giving me information on the Malku incantations. <clears throat> okay, thank you. That's fascinating. I would never add it to your wiki page. A, a lot <laughs> easier than a well-thumbed set of encyclopedias. No yes. kidding. Or walking. And more in depth. The, the internet is marvelous. <laughs> the internet has been very good to me. And so now, book three of hmm. the Edda Earth saga is set to release soon. Yeah, true? it's set to release on uh, September 1st. It's actually available for pre-order now. And? The, the, co the cover art is really rocking. My uh, artist actually lives in Ukraine, speaking of things you wouldn't have been able to do without the internet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't <laughs> even think about the covers. Yeah. Artist. Yeah. I have marvelous art from this lady in the Ukraine. Her name is uh, Lizaveta Gokoeva. I found her on DeviantArt. Oh, and yeah. she does gorgeous art. And I really, really hardly endorse anybody running over and taking a look at her gallery because she does marvelous stuff. Yeah, DeviantArt, another great resource yep, that yep. is relatively new for, for mm -hmm. users. And now you are also very kind to give our listeners a sneak peek at book three. We're going to uh, have an excerpt that you've provided to us up on our website. So make sure you, you look for that when you find the podcast. I'm just delighted that you were willing to have it up. Thank you so much. Oh. Very, very nice of you. No, no, absolutely. And it's a big, it's quite an excerpt. For some people might call that a novella. What's <laughs> <Sweet. laughs> 13 pages? <laughs> well, no, absolutely. We appreciate uh, the time you could give us, and we, we definitely appreciate the insight into the process and yeah. into your books in particular. I think we particular. could have a whole another podcast with you. I absolutely. We would love to have you back <laughs> I would on. I'd to be back on if you yeah, guys have you, might if have, you guys have more to talk to me about. I would be I would we love do. to be back on. So we so, didn't even we didn't even touch on systems and 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 how how campaigns could be developed in this I know, know. cuz your whole universe sounds like a role playing 
setting. At an Earth campaign. I did set it up basically using, you know, the wild, the wild talent system more or less as, as, as a touchstone. But I, I'm a 3.5 and 3.0 girl, so uh, that, that was sort of foreign to me. But just looking at how I would, you know, set it up as a, you know, a campaign module or something like that. Again, you mentioned that I sound like I have three full-time jobs. That would be a fourth full-time job. <laughs> trying to write the system down for because I would have to, you know, start for, either start from scratch or try and leverage somebody else's existing system. And uh, and there's only so many hours. In the and day. we want you to start teaching classes too about. <laughs> Yeah, storytelling from a, a DM's point of view. So there's five jobs. Those are seminars. <laughs> seminars. Yeah. They, they, they go part and parcel with your writing circuit. Sounds yes, cool. you could do that at conventions. Actually, that sure. would be a good seminar for you. Mm-hmm. There you go. In, in, in between training the upcoming puppy and making sure my oh, son. Oh, the is puppy. That's blood. right. Sure. <laughs> can so, I inform myself? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> so uh, for folks looking for more information, they can find uh, the first two novels now on Amazon.com and the third one, September 1st, yeah. or go to etta-earth.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you, guys. I've really appreciated your time today. Oh, oh it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Greg, and let's presume that I don't normally put up the news announcements about Extra Life, and I I don't know about the charity. For for some of the listeners uh, who who might not follow along, what, what is the Extra Life charity program? So Extra Life is a program that started about five or six years ago, uh, by a fellow named Jeremy Adams. Uh, he had been working with, uh, some kids at a hospital and, was really inspired by their stories and so as a result wanted to figure out a way to get the gaming community involved in fundraising for them. Um, After that he started this program. It started very small, just local communities coming together to raise money for just that specific hospital. Uh, He created a website. It grew from that to being now tens, hundreds of thousands of players who are all over the world and they can join one of their local children's hospitals to sponsor them and any money that they raise by playing games for 24 hours goes toward uh, that hospital. And I think last year they raised about $4 million for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Four million. That is awesome. Yeah, not not a small amount. Gamers are pretty generous. Yeah, I mean, it's great seeing what both uh, Extra Life's done and then, of course, uh, Child's Play as well has raised a ton of money for kids. So you really kicked it off for the Dungeons and Dragons Extra Life charity uh, team. Uh, two years ago was the first uh, charity event that we ran? Yeah, yeah. two years ago. Um, and tra- In fact, Trevor helped me a lot with the initial planning. Uh, and then um, we kind of just threw it together. It was a bunch of Local D and D fans, a lot of people from my own games, Um, and so I dragged them in. Uh, Most were willing. Um, (laughs) There were there are some what I would call like celebrities to us, right? So I I consider those people celebrities. Like we had, oh man, I don't even remember. So Faylauer, yeah, was the first one. Jeremy Petter from Loading Ready Run. Yep. Um, Yeah, Uh, Keith Baker. Keith Baker joined us. Keith Baker was yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we're still we're still we're still working on Scott. Was oh. E the first one? Did we have uh, E? I don't he didn't make it. Stepto did. Right. Um, mm. So, yeah. So we did um, kind of a lot of recruiting of both um, people who are influencers, but also just regular folks. Um, and actually, as it turns out, one of the great things about Extra Life is that 
Uh, it doesn't really matter how big your circle of influence is. It's really more how motivated you are to actually raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my friends who have, you know, they've like got a couple hundred followers on Twitter, um, no enormous Facebook following, will raise $1,000 because they'll threaten to shave off their beard, which they haven't yeah. shaved off in 10 years. Well, that's a good idea. Pe- people will pay to uh, have you embarrass yourself. That's yeah, what we, all, we also sure. learned. And, good tactic. And Greg said, like, I helped. I did not. Greg did 90% of the stuff. I, I, ma- I, managed, <laughs> I remember you helping. I managed some of the back-end stuff, so we yeah. had the camera set up and the, and the mics and everything. That's but, helping. But Greg organized most of it. When so, I was in school and we had to raise money for certain things... And then sometimes we had to sell candy bars, and mm-hmm. every single time I ate every all my candy bars, and I had to go to my mom at the end, and be like, "I need fifty dollars." <laughs> it, it was, it and was, I don't feel so good. And by the way, and the doctor's visit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, my mom would. That's also a great tactic. Play to your parents. Play to oh, your yeah. mom. They'll we donate. My mom. I, I haven't done that yet. Yeah. I have not. I have not asked my parents to donate what? for extra life. My, most I, of my family chipped in, um, but they used to. I used to do wrapping paper, oh, which yeah. is slightly less exciting than candy bars because yes. you but can't safer. actually eat it. Uh, and I was, I was one of the power fundraisers. I was like, that, I was hitting up not everybody. Even a little surprising. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm shocked. I learned my grandparents' friends were really the people to go after. Oh yeah, really? the, the you know older women and older men who were. Oh, and they probably uh, loved like little Greggy do their, coming over with his wrapping paper. Yeah, they wrapped their presents for all their grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. So for that first year, it's a 24-hour gaming event, or the first year at least it was. Were you the DM the entire 24 hours? Yeah, that was uh, that was the plan. Um, <laughs> whether I could be called a dungeon master by the end of the twenty four hours was questionable. Oh, he did it. Um, I don't think he remembers the like the last six hours. Yeah, what yeah. happens he did to it. a person who's DMing for twenty four hours? Encounters get weird. I imagine very weird. And your it was, players come in fresh, like ready to play, and you're on like hour sixteen. Yeah, and that's actually a good point. We do rotate in players throughout it. This was deliberate because I kind of figured if I was going to be doing this, I needed that infusion of energy mm-hmm, constantly. Mm-hmm. So every four to eight hours new players were coming in um, and they all had their own weird in things that were going on with their characters <laughs> because we had tied a lot of incentives to yeah. um, donations so they you know we end up with char- characters named twerk sparkle and <laughs> um, many of them had like wish spells that they could use at any point um, it was nuts i mean that was we talk about incentives right we're talking about like shaving your beards off but the the system of like help me build my character that was yeah, part of it so you, get to, cool. you get to name it you get to pick the class you get to you know, decide some of the cool stuff. And then you work with Greg because he was the DM. It's like, so what kind of crazy things can I offer? Like, I my character had this ability that I would randomly pull a scroll out. And if I could cast it, I would yeah, cast it. Awesome. So we'd be in the middle of a fight and be like, ha! And it was just a random scroll, and it was it was picked. And it was it was huh. it was an ability that, that came from working with the audience. And that my, is awesome. my name was where it started because Kyle, apparently, works here at Wizards, donated to name me, and he named me Scrolllock. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, all right, that's so all? I guess that's we not have to, a bad name. We, we have to make up it's a story actually, behind yeah, that. It's not, not the worst name. Yeah. So, sure. so the players were coming in in shifts. You were there for for the whole time as dungeon master. Was the story, the adventure of twenty four hour continuity, or were you sort of resetting it as sort of, hey, we're going to do four hour sessions and they're going to start and stop with each uh, group of players? No, it was definitely a continuous adventure. We the first year had one player who did stick around for the whole time, Rodney Thompson. Uh, he had kind of created this character that would provide a bit of a through line, a bit of narrative for people for, who were coming in new. Uh, and we ended up running Ghosts of Dragonspear Castle, 
Um, we got through most of the adventure. We actually ran a, a follow-up later on to finish off the adventure. Um, but it, it, it actually kind of made sense. I mean, it was, it was crazy, but at the same time, you could watch the whole thing, which I watched a lot of it later on after I posted it on YouTube. And, you know, there's, there's a story there. It doesn't yeah. always make sense. Yeah. But. <laughs> so <laughs> we had the Sin Merv appear at one point, which if you oh. uh, don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, S-E-N-M-U-R-V. It's and you times. will uh, understand why that's awesome. Yeah. Greg was hallucinating. Yeah. All right. We, did, we <laughs> didn't very... have witch spells. We did have crazy monsters show up randomly because one of the things that Greg had as the DM for incentive was, I will drop this on my players and like higher, higher tiers would have bigger monsters. I don't know if the Tarasque ever showed up. Not in the first year, but it did in the second year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, more money. So, yeah, this is a little uh, tricky just because we're recording this before the announcement for this year's uh, event has, has gone out. But by the time the podcast airs, it, it will have gone up. Uh, so what can you talk, uh, talk to us about about this year's charity event? How is it going to differ? Sort of what have you learned from the first and second years that you're going to be putting into this one? Sure. So we learned a lot from the first couple of years. The first year we raised 21000 and then last year we involved the community so that we could raise more money and get just more involvement, and we raised about $85,000. This year, knowing that we wanted to continue to grow this, uh, we partnered with Extra Life to do a specific tabletop weekend, something that uh, Extra Life really is mostly digital games, and we wanted to just kind of raise awareness that people can do tabletop games at all as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mean that we won't also actually do some digital gaming events uh, later on for Extra Life, but for this, we decided that this weekend was going to be uh, a 48-hour D&D marathon. Uh, no, I won't be DMing the whole thing. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I think I shook um, my head at Greg last year. I was like, no. <laughs> No. no. Um, however, I was actually, uh, after last year, ready to keep going for a few more hours at least. My, oh, I bet. My participants told me no. <laughs> um, we were there the first year. Yeah. It was, it was a dark time. <laughs> uh, but uh, for this year, I'm going to still try to participate for the whole time doing uh, basically the commentating. That was something we added last year that worked out really well to provide little intermissions to summarize what had happened. Uh, this year we're going to be, so we'll have 12 DMs uh, over that 48 hours. We'll do four-hour slots uh, with rotating players again. Um, and then we're also trying to get the Magic team involved um, and try to grow awareness about the tabletop event and get just more people from that industry involved. So we were talking about the 48 hours. Do we have the dates already picked for when this weekend is going to take place? Yeah, so it's August 2nd through the 4th. Um, I believe that... August? Sorry, um, October. It's August. It's October 2nd <laughs> through the 4th. And I think we'll be starting the D&D team probably on Friday at some time in, in the afternoon and running through till Sunday. Are you guys doing it here in uh, the offices of Wizards of the Coast? Once again, yes, that's a plan. Yes. We actually had it work pretty well. Um, I mean, Trevor helped a lot with the setup that first year. and it The second year they rocked it. I wasn't even here, yeah. and they did a much better job. It got, it got professional instead of me figuring out how to make all this stuff work. Um, um, yeah, one of the additions we made the second year was having a room sort of dedicated to fulfillment because we mm -hmm. end up having a lot of... Um, fundraising going on during the event where we give things away to donors um, mm. and tracking all of that. I mean, it ends up being 100, 150 things that we have to ship out. Wow. Um, 
and that is in and of itself is a lot of work. Yeah, we have actually, people don't see it too much. We have a lot of volunteers behind the scenes, especially soccer starting the second year. It will be the same this year, where we have like Rodney's wife Tammy was there, and Maris was there, and they, they're, and other people, but I remember them doing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're making sure that like the orders get fulfilled and all this other stuff. We get fed. Yeah. Because the, strangely the enough, the chat stays civil. The chat, yeah, the chat stays civil because we do have a lot of people, and it's late at night. <laughs> Some people may be on substances, oh, not us, what? but in the chat. Oh, in the chat. Just wait, wait, wait. For us. Sign me up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one of the incentives? Speaking of which, Shelly, <laughs> yes. this year. I was on a girls' weekend uh, last time but you this guys time. did this. Yeah. This, this time, time we're going to. I can do yeah. it this time. Yeah. I will. One of the things uh, that we did last year, I believe a little bit, and I don't remember exactly what it was, there were like incentives for like, if you raise this much money, you, you did we send something out to everybody? Did we do that last year? Yeah, so last year we ended up sending some folks uh, Adventures League certs and uh, certificates and some uh, codes for Neverwinter. Mm-hmm. And we are looking at doing some rewards like that again this year. The only one we have for sure lined up is an Adventures League certificate for anybody who raises over $50, who's a participant. Um, but we are trying to work on some other ones. Yeah, we got some other stuff that's pretty cool, and it's pretty it's pretty close to, to done. But we don't want to talk about it yet until until it gets finalized. And so. if memory serves, last year there was a sort of a communal effort where if so many total dollars were raised, there were previews from the Dungeon yeah, Masters guide. Yes. We- yes, well, and we do happen to have another book coming out yeah. soon, yeah. Sword Coast Adventures Guide, <laughs> uh, which may end up featuring in some fashion. Yeah, we might have been talking about what kind of content we can do from that and figuring out how we can do it so we don't spoil the entire book. I was going to say, because I think for the DMG it was, well, we'll have this stretch goal. We this, did. This, right, yeah. $50,000. Maybe we'll get it down. We almost even have it in the queue. Like, we're not going <laughs> to yeah. raise that much money. We I'm, don't need to prepare this PDF. I'm pretty sure we spoiled pretty much everything. <laughs> All the big ones, yeah. Everything um, big we spoiled. And I was like, yeah. well, we guess we could do this index page. Uh, they were going to buy it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now how does it work? Uh, aside from from the, the game itself, the, the 48 hours taking place or with the gaming. Now, how does the D&D come together? How do people in the community who want to participate get involved? Yes, the important part. How do you join the D&D team for okay. Extra Life? So there's, uh, on X, the Extra Life webpage, there are both individuals and teams. So Dungeons & Dragons is a team on Extra Life. So when you create your individual profile, you can choose to join a team. That means that when you raise money on your profile through your efforts and your game playing, all of that contributes to the overall goal that the Dungeons and Dragons team is going for. So this year we've set our goal for $100,000, mm-hmm. um, and we hope that we'll just get even more members of the community involved. Last year we had, I think, about 100, 150 people. I even know of one uh, fellow, Ed Robinson, uh, who actually asked me to give him a shout out, uh, hey, who uh, already is doing ahead. his event uh, this, this month. You don't have to do it on the Extra Life mm-hmm. event. Um, and so, oh, so the money, but it, you would still be raising money yeah. for Extra Life and for the D and D team. Is he on our team? Yeah, he's on our team. All yeah, because right, if he's not, we don't want to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna edit that right out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, for example, I've already been doing a lot of streaming myself, and that's already raised, I think, about fifteen hundred dollars toward the the cause. Yeah. Wow. And you, you have a, your own individual goal, um, so you can set that as low or as high as you want. Um, our, I think, personal goal for the DD team, though, like $100,000, whatever. Beating the Magic team is what's really important. That's what <laughs> I think, too. 
Yeah. <laughs> we may be a little competitive at this gaming company. I don't Even know that people D&D's understand. Not competitive. Sometimes eh, it's never people who play D&D yeah. are. It's like we we play cooperatively, but sometimes you're like, man, I really want to show Greg up. <laughs> <laughs> so beating the magic team is it at their own game? Is it with? Uh, have you chosen neutral tabletop games that you're going to be? No, no. And how much we? And how much? Raising donate. Okay. How much the full D and D community team? Yeah. Sorry, by community team I mean you guys out there on the D and D team will raise. We think we're, we're we're a nicer, more more donating bunch. We also think we're just uh, uh, more charismatic on yeah. on, on, entertaining. on the, on the on, and, and entertaining on the camera. We got some practice at this. Greg's Greg's been doing this for three years, so uh, throw down the gauntlet. Yeah, gauntlet has been thrown. Yeah, bring it, magic. Step it up, magic. <laughs> and please, oh man, okay. All the, all the magic community out there, don't bring it. I'm joking. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't want to be. No. I, I don't want to actually. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, donate however much money you can to yes. the children's hospitals because that's really all it's for. Well, yeah. So all the information will be on DungeonsAndDragons.com. Uh, in addition, people can look at the Extra Life website and find the Dungeons and Dragons team. I believe at the time of um, the announcement going up, the team page will already be in creation. Team mm-hmm. page is actually yeah already created. Great. We're also going to have a PDF toolkit that kind of pro- talks about how to set incentives and what you yes, can do to promote. That's what I was going to ask if you have because this is really. Something that you specialize in. Yeah, Greg's honed this down like, like for, for what tips. You will give tips, or maybe you can share some yeah. of your tips it, now for fundraising. And um, I mean, it's part of it's just the sample rewards and incentives that you can provide on your page. Um, the other thing is just getting as many people involved. That was the realization that I had the first year is, you know, rather than having a team of five playing for twenty four hours, if you have a team of twenty playing for twenty four hours, every one of those per, those people is gonna raise somewhere between you know $100 and $500 so you're suddenly exponentially growing your your fundraising so just spreading the word getting inspiring other people to play is really mm-hmm. one of the big things you can do well it's a good cause and it's a good way to raise money i mean playing games for yeah. charity yeah. <laughs> sounds like a a pretty fun fun way to go about it and for those older those like older of us, I guess. Remember those times you just stay up all night and play games? It's like that. So you want to recapture your youth? There you go. So another, <laughs> another, another way to do it. Except like you're also helping. Way to you're also me. helping kids. And so. yes, you're doing it for charity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point, actually, I think most of the players end up looking forward to this. Like I have people asking me, "Oh, can I please take another slot? Exactly. Can I please play eight hours instead Every of four. Time. Really? <laughs> Twelve yeah. hours instead of eight. I think for that first one, it was Rodney and Greg, and then I stayed for most of it. Because I was the behind-the-scenes guy, but even I didn't. I was like, I'm, I, like the last eight hours, I was like, I'm bailing. I have to go. <laughs> the last eight hours, you're already there. <laughs> it's a big deal. For fourteen of no we big had, deal. We had a few mm, people 16. watch it. Sixteen. <laughs> How much sleep have you gotten? <laughs> no kidding. See, this is why I cannot stay up all night. We have kids now, so we have a kid. And why don't you have kids, Greg? <laughs> because I want to help raise money for them. And that gives me lots more time not having kids. I won't be able to donate to your cause because I have one. I'm, the, like, I'm helping one. There you only go. one. <laughs> that is a full-time job. Um, I was going to mention that uh, with streaming, we we did actually have a few people who watched the whole event. So they stayed up mm. and watched oh. for 24 hours, which I think is a much harder task than yeah. actually running or playing the game. Uh, solidarity. Yeah. 
Um, but it will all be streamed on Twitch so that people can tune in and contribute during the event or mm -hmm. just check out what we're doing. Yeah, and if you uh, do join the team and you are going to stream as well, uh, I, we, we can probably find a way to make that work too. Because we were talking about how do we support these other people who are streaming and are part of the team. Yeah. Um, we would definitely, if you do that, we're going to have to try to find a way. Like It might just be Twitter. Hey, reach out to Trevor on Twitter. Let him know you're doing it. Trevor's me. I just like to speak of myself in the third person. Um, and then uh, uh, we, we can see maybe we can have like, hey, here's all the teams. Here's the channels you can find them on. Um, so people, if you if for some reason you don't find us entertaining, which is just ludicrous. Come I don't on. know how that would happen. But, but you can have some options of other people who are out there and, and definitely doing the, the same thing. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for your time. And again, uh, for more information, just look on the website, DungeonsAndDragons.com. And of course, at... Uh, extra-life.org for information on the charity in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, specifically uh, extra-life.org slash tabletop weekend. Oh, there you go. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. For more information on Deborah David and her books, you can go to edda-earth.com. You can also visit extra-life.org for more information on the charity event and look for specific D&D team information at DungeonsAndDragons.com as well. You can download the D&D podcast from our website under the media section or subscribe directly from iTunes.